Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 242. Today is Sunday the 16th of July, 2017. And this interview is with Dennis Bierkhoff and Marco van der Werf, who are the co-founders of BitStudents Foundation. Based in Amsterdam, BitStudents is a non-for-profit way for students to learn to code for free. On the heels of this successful venture, Dennis and Marco are now looking to start the equivalent of École 42, the famous coding school started by Xavier Niel in Paris, in Amsterdam. In this conversation, we look at their adventures, how education should improve, the world of new tech through the eyes of two aspiring, geeky 26-year-olds, as well as how businesses could be better collaborating with startups. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue. This is a recording that's being done in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And I'm about to be speaking at the iGaming. So I took advantage to go over, thanks to Claire Boonstra, um, who of Layer fame, who introduced me to these uh, this wonderful initiative that I'm discovering in Amsterdam. So who you guys? Tell me who you are, what you guys do, and uh, as I like to ask, what's your mindset? Hi, I'm Dennis. I'm 26 years old, and I started Bit Students together with Marco, who's talking today as well. And I'm very energetic. I'd like to talk to you, Minter. Told a lot of great stories about yourself. All right, thanks, Dennis. All right, what about you? I'm uh, Marco, computer science student, uh, and I feel energetic. Beautiful. All right, so you guys are you guys are the founders of the Bit Student Foundation, as Anna said. So, what is the Bit Student Foundation? Bit Students is, Bit Students is a foundation run by students, and we build jump starts for companies. And we founded ourselves because we were bored at school. We call school history lessons because we don't think we learn a lot, uh, enough at school. And so what's the principle of uh, this school in terms of how you get people in and, and uh, how are they learning along the way? Right. So we are all students right now. We all study either computer science or artificial intelligence or software engineering. Um, what we say, like Dennis said, is we feel it's like history lessons. I mean, if you've been programming since you were, since you were young, and a lot of us programming are programming since we were like 10, 12, 11, um, we feel that school doesn't suit our needs of what we want to learn. Um, so we started a uh, foundation next to it. And what we learn at the foundation is to be a professional, to build in innovative uh, products, uh, and to, to help companies like make a next step in being, becoming more innovative. Cool. We're going to get into that in a second. What, something that strikes me, and I'm a 52-year-old guy, so I'm exactly <laughs> double your age, like a deck of cards, and um, I, I wonder how you get into coding. So you guys maybe, tell, tell us how you guys got into coding, and then I want to see, talk about how should people like me get into coding, right? Who do you want to start with that one? Yeah, far, I'll go with it. Uh, you know, you can see coding like the gold rush now. So uh, six, seven years ago, I was doing a business, uh, a business study, but Finishing a business study, you couldn't become anything you wanted to become because you had to learn in a company, a boring company, the stuff you would want to learn. So I thought, okay, if you really want to work into coding, then you should know how to code stuff and how to build stuff. Uh, so I wanted to learn. I want to, I'm eager to learn how to build stuff. So now I can, and now I can build uh, companies that build uh, 
Bill Sofer. All right, so but when you started, Dennis, you, you, did you have a specific project in mind? Did you go through gaming? And then what about which code do you start with? I mean, should you be learning HTML? Should you be learning JavaScript? How, do you, how on earth do you navigate into it? Well, the first, the first thing you always build is a Hello World program that just prints Hello World in Java. But what I found really boring about that is that Java is, is such a boring language because you don't see anything. It's a back-end language, and I'm more of a visual guy. So uh, when I did an internship, that's when I start, started, for, when I really started first learning, I was doing front-end, I was building websites for really big companies. So more HTML? Yeah, more HTML, JavaScript, and you learn frameworks like Angular and React. Um, so you build, you, you know, you build SaaS applications. So that's, uh, that's about it. And what about you, Mike? Well, my father is an IT guy, and he always brought home a computer. And I Commodores and things like that? No, it wasn't a Commodore. I thought it had Windows... 95 at the, fir at the first, maybe 98, and I just loved being in the, at the computer and then started a um, period in which I really liked to download songs and I was really into the torrent stuff and I just wanted to make sure then some of my friends told me, well, it's illegal and you can do it, so I wanted to make sure that, that I didn't get caught because otherwise my parents would be really mad, about, mad at me, so I started coding there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you know, there's when we're talking about coding, there is an undercurrent of the sort of the dark net, the 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 unethical side right. of of coding. How important is ethics, do you think? And where do you integrate ethics into what you're doing? I mean, obviously, you're running a foundation, but do you feel sometimes you need to bring the line and say this is something that you shouldn't be doing? Um, yeah, I guess. Well, for us, ethics is, um, there's a lot of guys who do a lot of programming during the nights, during the weekends, and they just try to build cool stuff. But the thing with IT right now is it's, it's, it's mostly white men mm -hmm. trying to build uh, new software. Um, and I, for us in our foundation, it's more like, all right, have a broader view. So while you're still a, still a student, learn to become a professional, but also learn what the world is more about. So, uh, yes, there is diversity, so we try to teach people out that. Yeah, about that. Yes, uh, for example, we eat together with the whole group. We're at 40 right now. We eat together with the whole group every Monday, and we eat vegetarian then. Not because we want people to become vegetarian, but to think about, all right, hey, it's important in the world. And when you accept your projects at the BIT Student Foundation... Is there any element that needs to be some kind of responsibility or ethics, or is that sort of a secondary thought? No, of course, of course it needs to. Yeah, we, we, haven't, been, we haven't been asked to build stuff we wouldn't build, mm -hmm. um, but we wouldn't have, we, we, we don't, I don't think we would have uh, built it, because right. we, don't, we, we, don't, uh, we don't want to. All right, so let's talk about how this BIT Student Foundation works. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm interested in, because in, the principle is that they, they get this opportunity to work for free. How, how do you choose people that come in? There are students that want to join you. And then how do they get funded? Because, you know, some, money doesn't grow on trees. How do you mean they, get work, they work for free? Well, so they, so they, they don't have to pay to the students. The students don't have to pay to come. No, they get paid. It's right. So, so right. So, how? What is? So, the first point is, how do they get accepted into your program, and two, what is the economic model? 
Okay, so first, uh, so your first question is how did I get recruited? We have a, a very big, we have a program for that. So at first we have a beer and pizza night and then people come over and it's always about, about 30, 35 people and it's, it's just to meet each other. You mean it's not just for the beer? It's not just for the beer, no. I hope it's not. <laughs> it's, I hope it's to get together. And then we'll just see whether or not there's a click. And after that, when there's a click with you, uh, with the student that would like to apply with us, they get invited to do a, a more a more inf a more formal uh, meeting, and then we'll we'll have a coffee, so no beer anymore, and we'll talk about your interests and our interests, and if you're eager enough to learn new stuff, because that's very important if you want to work with us. Do you want to learn new stuff? Because we always are eager to learn new things that are happening in the world. So that's what we're doing at the next step. And then the third step is a paid weekend assignment because we don't want you to be a slave. We don't want you to do stuff. Uh, when you make something that has a value, then we want to... Right. You want, yeah. We don't like interns as well. We don't take any interns yeah. because we think that's just... Um, it's just sad to have people pay for... You're learning as well, don't you? You learn every day, every day. and you get paid for it. That's why I'm learning as we speak. Yeah, you're learning as you speak. Because, and, and it's a sad story that people tell you when you're young that you have to work for free uh, because then you'll learn stuff. You always learn stuff. And if you don't anymore, then, yeah, then it's, uh, it's, it's sad and you have a, a sad working life. All right, so they, they come in, they have the beer and pizza, yeah. and you, you look for a fit, which is really interesting because you're actually looking for a, um, a mindset or at least a, a cultural fit yeah, of more than a, you know, a, a competency yeah. story. So uh, once they've got the, their projects in, uh, how do you select which ones are good? So, so what we do is uh, people come in for an interview, but every developer, at least if you're a good developer, has a list of new techniques that have come up in the recent months that you want to learn. So we always ask in the interview is what kind of techniques do you want to learn? And they always give us a list of three or four. And then in the weekend assignment, we say, all right, uh, you have to build a project. We always have a sort of projects we want people to build, but you have to do it in the languages or in the new techniques that you don't know already. And you have a weekend of time. And that's super important to us because a good developer is one who really wants to learn, who wants to learn himself. Um, so they have a weekend. They have to come back on Mondays. They have to show the code to all our developers mm -hmm. and explain what they've done. And, for example, explain, all right, this technique is different of other techniques that I've known because A, B, a, B and C. And want to see that sparkle in their eyes. Just see how good did you think it was to learn. How did you like that? Well, that sounds awfully geeky. I can just imagine this, you know, like on line 63, look what I did here. I had a semicolon at it. Then, whoa! It actually goes like that. Yeah, it's the same like that. All right, so here's, here, we're, in, we're talking about the Bit Student Foundation, and you mentioned diversity. The issue with coding in general, and we've seen a lot of bad press recently, showing that it's awfully male-dominated, and the culture is not conducive for women. Right. How can we combat that? I mean, look at us, three guys, we're white guys, blue-eyed for that. How do we help make this a little bit of a better environment where we encourage more diversity and specifically women? Well, it, of course it's a big question, so I don't have the answer. But what we see is that um, IT guys are just being uh, drawn as nerds. And, of course, it's guys who like to program in their weekends, be on their well, in their own room, uh, doing nothing more than coding. Um, there's two ways of like solving that uh, image of a developer. One is to have 
other guys or girls get into coding and learn them how to code. But we think of it as the other way around, saying, all right, we get these super nerdy guys who are amazing professionals because they love what they do. Uh, they're super enthusiastic about it. They want to keep on learning and do nothing else than coding. And just get them into the, well, let's say real world. Work social. with real, get, to be, get them to be social. Get them together. We have two big offices in, in Amsterdam. They're being together. They work together with customers um, while they're being 19, 20, 21. So learn them early mm-hmm. and let people see that, hey, we're, we're all right. We're, we're, we're good yeah. girls and guys. I think it's probably an element of, you know, being around a lot of young kids myself, of learning how to operate in this new environment, which I think generally women are a lot more, girls, you know, younger women are cognizant of. But if you're behind a screen all the time and you're doing gaming, this issue of learning how to socialize and be, you know, let's say human is almost a distant concept. Yeah, it is. All right, so you guys are uh, doing this project, Bit Student, but this isn't all you're up to uh, because, you know, I, I, I live half in Paris and uh, L'Ecole 42, the School 42, uh, is something that obviously has inspired you all. Tell us what you are up to in this category. We were talking about this before we started recording. So with Bit Students, we were running a company, so we were doing assignments for, for, uh, for companies, and we were sustainable so we had enough money to sustain ourselves and we're very proud about that but we also saw that we the, the guys and girls at our at our foundation learned more than they were doing at school so we had the ambition to maybe start a school so we wanted to get inspired by projects that are like maybe a bit like us and one of them was 42 so uh, we found them in a newspaper news article and we just wanted to see what was going on over there and we went there and it was awesome. It was amazing. It was so inspiring what was happening over there. So when we came back from it, uh, we went to the municipal office in, uh, in Amsterdam, and they, they said that we, we, we had to get it in Amsterdam. So we teamed up, and they said they would help with anything we would needed help from. Uh, so we went back to 42 in, a, in, in Paris again, and we told them that we wanted to have the school in Amsterdam, and they were willing to help us. But there was another party as well. And it was uh, one of the founders of Tom Tom, uh, Corinne Figure. She's from uh, she's from France as well, mm-hmm. very popular in, uh, in France. So we were <laughs> we were amazed by that, and we were so happy that she wanted to start it as well. So uh, now we're going to start it uh, with the help of her uh, in Amsterdam. That's so, well, it, I mean, it's sort of like like these co-working spaces. In the end of the day, collaboration is is how it all gets together. So it's beautiful that she was able to do that. So. Give us a little bit of an idea of uh, where you are on the project and, and uh, where, when, when's it going to be up and running? All right, so we try to be open in June next year. Um, and where we are right now is Dennis and I are going to Paris a lot. Uh, we try to learn the school system of 42s because it's totally different than normal schools. Mm-hmm. It has no teachers. There are no exams. There are no rosters. Uh, and it's tuition-free. Mm-hmm. So it's totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to learn... Uh, the way that school works um, and well the upcoming year I mean we're looking for a building right now we need a big building we're trying to build a school of about 1,000 to 1,500 students um, so looking for a building uh, we need to do marketing we need to do PR mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of learning for us right now because we're computer science students ourselves so it's a lot of learning well so how are you going to attract the, I mean let's say 
you, hopefully, I can imagine in, in the Netherlands, you guys are known for being very entrepreneurial, very hardworking, good ethics on that. How are you going to sort out? You're going to get, presumably, hopefully, uh, flooded with invitations, you know, people applying. How are you going to sort out, you know, who's good and who's going to come in? Yeah. Paris has a great system for that, the 42 school in Paris. So you have to do an assignment on the internet. So you do a, do, you do a test, and the first one is 30, 30 minutes, around 30 minutes, and the next one is two hours. And the test, the only thing it tests for is determination. So it wants to know if you're going to finish it, and if you really want to, if you're eager enough to finish it. Because after an hour, an hour and a half or so, the tests know how smart you are. Mm-hmm. So they're going to make it so hard that it's impossible for you to finish it. So you're all frustrated behind your computer trying to finish it. So that's the first step. And after that, you'll have to be seen. So I know you, I'm sure you've heard of it. 26 days doing assignments. And some days you have to do one assignment each hour for 24 hours at a time. So it's very hard. And you have to be, you, you have to be really eager to, uh, to want to be part of that. So one of the areas I wanted to talk about, since I, I travel a lot, is to look at the Dutch difference. How how do you see, you know, you for having traveled so much, how the coding, the the student body is different in, in Holland, or maybe not, versus the kind of student bodies you're going to see in States or in France or Germany or wherever else? Well, I think that what made the Netherlands maybe a bit different than other countries is the way that we embody liberalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the way the Netherlands came about. It's mm-hmm. the way Amsterdam came about. It's just mm-hmm. being liberal, mm-hmm. trying to be free. Uh, we had the golden age with a lot of shipyards and big ships and trying to take over the world. And we had a lot of uh, cultures coming into Amsterdam. So I think that still is part of the um, Amsterdam and Dutch culture. So liberalism and just being creative and just trying to well solve a lot of problems is something that we get taught from mm-hmm. early ages. Right. You see, I know you guys separate your trash well. You have a, a, a level of civism and conscientiousness that's distinctly higher than most countries. I, I, I guess so, yeah. Uh, so I think every, every country has its own, and I think this is just the Dutch way. Um, and what about encoding? Do you see any specific elements of within the coding world like areas pockets of strength the areas you're more interested than others well absolutely i mean um if you look at coding there's stuff that we like to do there's stuff that we don't like to do as well i mean doing the repetitive work and and the the basics of coding is something that a lot of dutch developers i think just don't like to do Uh, doing the innovative work and trying to solve issues on which there are no uh, solutions yet. These are things that we really like to do as developers. It sounds to me that we need to create an artificial intelligence that can do the bloody coding of the boring stuff. I think that's like 10 years from now, and it'll be there, absolutely. I can just imagine giving that to a project for somebody. All right, so you guys, um, one of the things that's of, of key interest is that you're going to be training these students, they're going to come out of the program, and then they have to have a job. Because maybe the school was free, but then they gotta they have to do the next step. And so, are are you thinking just like that? There's most of them are going to be entrepreneurs, or how how does how do big companies benefit from? Because you know that they're starving for talent. 
They need to get more into the coding gig. They need to be more innovative. Uh, so what, what's your, what, maybe what thoughts do you have with regard to anyone who's listening to this in a big company who wants to recruit better talented, hire better coders? Yeah, that's a big challenge for us because companies over here always want to have people from the universities and they are not, they, they're, not, they're likely not to get students from that are self-taught because that's not how it works in the Netherlands. Most people go to the universities. Well, because the big universities have the titles, you know, it's certified, you come from this great school. Yeah. And it's free. So being a student in the Netherlands is very cheap. Uh, not anymore since, since a few years, but it used to be. So that's still, still in our culture. Uh, so that will be a challenge, but we, we have internships during the program of 42. So after s six to nine months, somebody has to do an internship. And then we will see whether or not people will get hired. But I'm quite sure they will, because looking at Paris, 42 over there, 90% of the students starting the school get a job mm -hmm. in their field. So those are very impressive uh, marks. I think there's no, no university in the Netherlands who could get close to that. So there are two things. One is the, the level of certification. So I presume with uh, your school, as it comes around, you're going to have to integrate with the Ministry of Education. Who's, how, how are you managing that? That's a good question. We, um, we don't try to integrate with the uh, Ministry of Education just because it's a school in which we want... All right, in Paris, there are about 4,000 developers in the school, 4,000 students. They are there 40 to 60 hours, 60 hours a week, um, but they're there not because they ha their parents paid for their education, not because they get a diploma, because they want to be there. It's all about wanting to be there and wanting to become better. So we try not to have a, have a license for now. I mean, it would be nice in the future if people have it. Mm -hmm. uh, you do get sort of some sort of, it's, it's a gamified school system. So you start at level zero, you become, can become a level 21. That takes you about four to five years full time. Um, so, of course, you'll get a level. And, and if you quit the school at level 15, it says something. Um, but right now, it's, it's, it's we're not becoming an actual university or a licensed uh, university. Well, it's like Ecole 42 has sort of got its own reputation going on right. now, especially in certain circles. What about big companies? How, how are they going to uh, interact with you? Are you going to accept sponsorships? Uh, what's your approach there, Marco? Uh, no, it's no sponsorships. Uh, the school's being uh, completely free and there's no business model. Um, well, someone's got to pay for the warehouse. It's, somebody is paying for the, where, for the warehouse. In Paris, that's going to be Xavier. Right here, it's going to be Corinne Figure. Um And that's just doing good. It's just philanthropy. It's giving back to society. Um, but yes, a lot of big corporates are being interested in the in the guys we're developing, and of course, we're riding the wave for 42 because it's a well-known school within the world, and people are super excited that the school is coming here into Amsterdam. All right, so I want to take advantage of both you on a topic uh, which is new tech. All right, so we've been talking about coding, but what are the things in new technologies that actually turn you guys on? Is there something that really gets you, you know, jacked up, which you can't go to sleep on because you started to dig in on it? What do you want to talk about there? AR kit. I'm super hyped about it. What, what is it about AR, that augmented reality, that turns you on? You know, whenever I go to a museum, I always want to know, I want to know more or, or an, old, an old building or an old anything. Uh, I want to know more. You know, I want to know more. If I see a castle, then I want to know what happened over there 400 years ago. Uh, ago. And imagine that you have a glass on your face 
uh, which you can look through, and then you'll see all the stuff that wa was happening over there 400 years ago, 200 years ago, maybe even longer ago. I'm so I'm so stoked about those things. So, do you have any experiences in AR that you would recommend people go do but to get really turned on and jack up and understand the power of AR? Yeah, well, if you look at <laughs> there's this Twitter account now made with AR kit, and there's a few of them. You see you see the rocket of SpaceX. You see landing in your garden on a on the on the on the autonomous boat, the autonomous. I don't know what it's what it's called, what it's called again, but it's so, it's so it's so awesome to see the rocket landing through your phone in your garden. Um, yeah, so all those kind of things. You you have the the Airbnb one. I don't know if you if you've seen it. No, but I'll be sure to put a, a show you know a link you into the show. Notes. Yeah, because whenever you're you you're in a new house, you don't know where the heating is or you don't know where anything lays lays down there. So where's the where's the remote controller for the right. for the air conditioning or for the television? Now you can see through the app where they are. So there's just a small label on your screen, and you just have to you just follow it, and then you see the remote uh, laying down there. And there's even an instruction movie uh, attached to it, so you can see how how it works because all remote controls are different. Mm. I think it's genius. Oh, I think it's genius. Love it. Uh, how about you, Marco? What uh, technology turns you on? Well, there's a lot of buzzwords. I love AR, like Venice does. Um, Artificial intelligence, of course, machine learning. I think that uh, smart offices will be big. So there's a lot of sensors, and sensors are being more cheaper and cheaper every day. Um, so I love smart offices, just be getting into an office uh, and getting, well, I don't know, a tune played when I come in, and it's a different tune when, when Dennis comes in. It's being the nerd in me, but I kind of like that. Well, I'm not going to ask you what music you would play, but what about... It's funny that he you... He's very good music. Does, does, is that true, Mark? Uh, I think Otis Redding will play, right. yeah. <laughs> we like it. Um, so, but it's funny you mentioned the smart office and not the smart home, because in the end of the day, uh, there's the other side of the coin. That what frightens you the most? What, are there technologies that you're like, hmm, not so sure about, maybe because they're bound to fail, or because you're more worried about how usages are going to come around? Is there any, Mark, is there something that really frightens you? Oh, yeah, I, there's a lot that frightens me. And what, what frightens me the most is that people just don't understand how much uh, companies or people know about you. And there's this famous example of um, uh, hackers who, because if I send you a picture right now, right now it's being encrypted, it's being securely sent, and you can see the picture, but if you intercept the picture, nobody it's, else it's can. Scrambled. It's scrambled. The thing is, it's being done by just hashes. And right now, we don't have powerful... The computers that we have are not powerful enough to decrypt the code, or you would need a lot of computing power. But what hackers do is they still are saving the images, even though they cannot crack it by now. The thing is, I mean, five or ten years from now, computers will be as powerful that they can ha crack all the encryption. So it's not that, that we're not saving the images right now. We are. They are. It's just that they can't crack it. That's frightening me. That's awfully scary. I have never heard that, actually. So let's say that these hashes, uh, is it just a question of coding, uh, decoding it? Or will at some point these keys be released? And you know, will we be back-ending, back into all this recrypted uh, you know, re um, information? I, I'm not a hacker myself, um, but I guess that could happen. And that would be frightening to me, really. Me too, thinking about that. <laughs> Dennis, what about you? Is there technology that uh, gets you frightened or up at night for the wrong reasons? No, it's not. 
it's hiding the, the the it's society that says I have nothing to hide. That's frightening me the most because that's why companies like Google and Facebook are becoming so large and so big because they get paid for it because you don't have anything to hide. Mm-hmm. And that scares me the most because a few years ago I was really into privacy and I wanted to do something about it, but people just don't care. They just don't care. And I think when they're going to start to care, it will be a bit too late. So that's what I'm scared about. All right. I want to finish on uh, one topic, social media. Um, I, you know, let's say this is obvious, but um, my children have variously gone in and said, I don't want to do Facebook anymore. I'm wondering where you guys are. Are there social media that you guys are, are yes, more on, less off of, you know, more scared about what they're doing behind with all the data or, or your friends are all migrating off, uh, you're into Snapchat or WhatsApp or other more private uh, networks. What are you guys up to? I'm not a social media guy, so but just to so you, don't, you, 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 do, you do not use social media. Well, I have Facebook, but uh, I want it. To, so what I have right now is if I open my app, uh, I have a blank timeline. So what I had to do is I had to write a bot to unfollow all my friends one by one, and I didn't want to do it myself, so I wrote a program for that. Uh, but it's you can't do it with Facebook, so you cannot unfollow everyone. Uh, you have to do it one by one. But right now, if I open up my app, I have a clear timeline. And the reason I want to do that is because all the events that I'm being invited for are being done through Facebook. So I like that about Facebook, but I don't like, well, seeing all the updates and stuff. So if someone wanted to unfriend everybody, is this app available or is this little hack available? Uh, No, I haven't put it online yet. No. Maybe you would. I suppose it might be very quick to try to want to take it down, but that's an interesting one. And your choice not to be on social media otherwise? I mean, I assume you use things like WhatsApp or, or do not even want to use those kind of tools. I do, yeah, I do use WhatsApp just because everybody uses it. Well, and it's and code, and then uh, decoded. And it is, but still don't, but don't send everything. Yes. That will be the, the message. That's a good message for everybody. How about you? Yeah, Facebook, same story for me for nice. Facebook because I think it's, uh, I think it's usually, it's, it's, it's nine, ga- nine gag, but then a few days old. 4chan for a few weeks old, so I don't use it either, just for events, for our own events, for our bit talks. Uh, WhatsApp, same story, but that's just, you know, you have to. <laughs> you want to be the only one, not well, on Some would say you have to be on Facebook, but that's interesting. Good to have your perspective on that. So you guys, um, well done for getting the Bit Students Foundation up and running. That's a very laudable uh, initiative, and it's very cool what you're doing. And I love the idea of really making school much better than it is, because in the end of the day, we need to keep learning, and we need to keep learning way beyond school, frankly. And then, of course, you're, you're um, the equivalent of School 42 when it comes around. That's really exciting. How can someone uh, get in touch with you if, they're, if someone is actually in Amsterdam and wants to go to school? How do people sign up? And uh, anyway, how do they follow you? Um, so, Dennis, start with you. You go to LinkedIn or Twitter. Dennis Berkhoff, and then you can follow me, and you can send me anything you want to. So I'll spell that out for anyone who doesn't yeah, un- exactly understand Dutch. <laughs> Berkhoff. <laughs> uh, and uh, what about you, Marco? Yeah, same for me. LinkedIn is something that I use. Uh, Which is a social media, by the way. It is a social media, by the way. Um, so you by can... the way, they're using a lot more information these days than, than Facebook, or than they were in the old days. Right, right, right. So you connect. Uh, can, can connect with me through that uh, or go to our website www.bitstudents.com Fabulous. Well listen, uh, thanks for having me in your offices in your lovely cool uh, co-working space. Lovely to meet you both and look forward to staying in touch and finding out about the launch in June uh, or um, I'd love to come. Thanks.
Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. 
and then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.